Hello and welcome back to Benaiah, Mighty Man of God by P.H. Thompson, an audiobook. This is chapter 26. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Psalm 32, 1-5. With the common room cleared, Benaiah stood alone with David while he sat on his throne, his head in his hands. The prophet's words kept ringing in his mind. He took the poor man's lamb. When Benaiah brought Bathsheba to David that night, he had indeed felt like he was bringing a lamb to be slaughtered. It was Benaiah who took the poor man's lamb and delivered it to the rich man. And now the poor man, Uriah, was dead, along with eight other soldiers and Micaiah. Benaiah wanted nothing more than to flee the palace, to talk to God and beg his forgiveness. But as David's bodyguard, he was still on duty, so he stayed. Although doing his duty was what got him in this predicament in the first place, he just hoped David didn't expect him to provide comfort. The only comfort he felt for himself came from the words, The Lord will forgive you even for this sin. You will not die. If there was forgiveness for the man who sinned, perhaps some of the, that mercy would spill over and cover the sin of the accomplice. Please, God, be merciful to me. Benaiah sensed David staring at him, so he turned to face him. You know, I actually feel relieved that it's finally out in the open. David tipped his head back and let out a long breath, as if exhaling the worries of the past year. While he was glad David felt relieved, as he himself did, Benaiah wondered if the weight of the prophet's words were truly appreciated yet, or was he still reeling from the emotional hit? There were consequences yet to be felt, both to him and his family. No one knew what that would entail other than the first hammer blow, the death of Bathsheba's newborn son. For months I haven't been able to sleep or worship God with a clear conscience. Benaiah was not surprised, for a man like David, who was so close to God, having this come between them was unavoidable. Benaiah had noticed David either decreasing the number of times he went to the tabernacle, which he used to love to do, or else worshipping half-heartedly. There seemed to be no joy when he sang, and he hadn't been composing psalms for some time. Benaiah nodded. I noticed, my lord. David put his hands, head in his hands. I'm so sorry, especially for the deaths of my valiant soldiers. He had to ask, how? How did they die? David looked up and scrubbed his hands down his face. The simple truth is that I ordered it. I sent a message to Joab to set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle. David paused and looked over at Benaiah as if he hated to say the next words. And then I ordered him to retreat from him so that he'd die at the hands of the Ammonites. David exhaled loudly as if sending the last horrid details out of his mouth. Benaiah supposed David expected him to console him since he'd been forgiven, but he couldn't get the image out of his mind. My lord, did the other mighty men know about this plan? Did they take part in it as well? He couldn't imagine the betrayal if that was the case. 
Not as far as I know. I only told Joab. But we always look out for each other. What must Uriah have felt to see his brothers retreating from him, leaving him to be attacked by the Ammonites? What must he have suffered? Why? He would have died alone. They might not even have been able to retrieve his body for burial. The enemy may have done hor- anything to him before he died or to his body afterwards. Benaiah couldn't stop the horrible images of Uriah's last moments, nor could he stop himself from voicing them to David, king or not. And the other men, my friend, Mikhail, they all had families, all widowed and fatherless now. David took the verbal assault from Benaiah, no doubt feeling it was justified. It didn't make Benaiah feel any better to say it or to know it hurt David, but he had to help him understand just how horrible this action was. Uriah may have been the only intended target of David's wicked plan, but nine other soldiers were dead, ten women were widowed, and many children were fatherless. Benaiah felt so angry at David, angry and disappointed. All of this started because of my desire for Bathsheba. It wasn't just that you desired her, you used your power to take her. David nodded. You tried to warn me. Benaiah finally looked David in the eye. Bathsheba was my friend's wife. I should have protected her, even from you. You are not to blame, Benaiah. It was me that the prophet confronted. I sinned against Uriah and Bathsheba and all those other people. Every part of this sin rests on my shoulders alone, as do the consequences. Our son will die and Bathsheba will suffer yet another loss. I don't understand how God works or how the death of this baby boy is somehow just. I'm sorry for all the consequences of this whole mess, Benaiah said. I've made a decision, David said. I know it won't undo what I've done, but I've no wish to add hardship to the families of the fallen soldiers. Their widows will be exempt from taxes for life, even if they remarry, as will their children, and their wages will continue to be paid to the widows for life to support them and their children. Moreover, this will be the policy in Israel for any fallen soldier from now on. Benaiah felt some relief at this pronouncement. True, it may have arisen from his guilty conscience, but it was the right thing to do. It also gave some comfort to Benaiah to know that if he was killed in battle, his family would not suffer undue privation in his absence. David sighed heavily as he rose from the throne. I need to speak with Bathsheba. Benaiah did not envy David that task. Benaiah followed David to the court of the women. As they left the common room, a few advisers who had been ordered out were waiting outside the door, no doubt watching to see how he'd react to Nathan's parable and pronouncement. David breezed past them, intent on seeing his wife and new son. Benaiah heard the high-pitched cries of the infant even before David entered Bathsheba's apartment. David flung open the door and rushed in. Benaiah took a post just inside the open doorway. Bathsheba was pacing with the baby, trying to get him to stop crying. I don't know what's wrong with him. He had no signs of illness all day. Now he's burning up. David stormed back outside of the room, sent someone to bring his personal physician, then went back inside and fell to his knees near the baby. It was apparent that no one had yet told Bathsheba about Nathan's prophecy. David took the child from his mother, looked at him for a long moment, then placed him in his cradle. He pulled Bathsheba into his arms. As David held her, he locked eyes with Benaiah over her shoulder, determination in his eyes. 
He didn't tell her about Nathan's prophecy, nor did he assure his wife that the baby would recover. Was it the best decision? Benaiah couldn't tell what he would have done in that moment. That evening, Benaiah relayed the events of the day, God's judgment pronounced by Nathan, and the child's illness and imminent death. Oh, how dreadful! I can hardly believe it! The other soldiers and their families? Uriah's murder? The poor baby? And Bathsheba, how is she? David hasn't told her yet why the baby is sick, Benaiah said softly. Mariah folded him in her arms and held him for a long while. She didn't say anything else, but her touch, her prayers, and her listening ear gave him all the comfort he needed right now. When Benaiah returned to the palace the next morning, one of the guards at the door to the common room informed him that David was still in Bathsheba's apartment in the court of the women, and no cases would be heard that day. None of the advisers were there either. Benaiah wondered where Ahithophel was and how angry he was that the king had committed adultery with his granddaughter. The mood in the palace was somber. Benaiah was sure there was gossip over what had transpired yesterday, but his concern was with the king and the unfolding drama with his ill son. The guard inside the door of Bathsheba's apartment reported, The child is no better. The doctor has offered treatments, but to no avail. The king's wife is distraught. The king has eaten nothing at all since yesterday afternoon. What has the physician said? Benaiah asked. He said he doesn't know what the source of the illness could be. He's tried cooling baths, but the fever remains, and now the child's breathing is becoming labored. Benaiah peered into the room and noticed the attendants, the doctor and Bathsheba, around the cradle. He knew the physician would not be able to do anything. The king was prostrate on the floor. Benaiah motioned to the king, eyebrows raised. He's been praying all night. Benaiah turned back to the guard. I'll take over now. The guard straightened, turn on, turned on his heel, and left the room. Bathsheba looked up from the couch next to the cradle, and their gazes met. She reached in and picked him up. Was that look of anguish just because her child was ill, or had David told her he would not survive? Benaiah approached the king on the floor. He knelt down near his face. My king, he said softly, you must eat something. David did not respond. Benaiah stood and returned to the doorway. Benaiah imagined the agony and helplessness he and Mariah would feel if one of their children were dying in their arms. But David's torture was worse, since he knew this suffering was a direct result of his own selfish actions. Benaiah walked over to Bathsheba and the infant. The rise and fall of his chest indicated that each breath required great effort. My lady, you too should rest and eat. Bathsheba shook her head. If he will only be with us a short time, he will be in his mother's arms, knowing he is loved. She stroked the boy's hair, still damp from his latest cooling bath, and sniffled. Benaiah wished he could escape this heartbreaking scene, but his job was to guard the king, even if it meant spending the day watching desperate parents see the life ebbing away from their son. How long would the boy suffer? Please, Adonai, take him soon. For six days, Benaiah watched the child struggle to breathe, Bathsheba become more despondent, and David continued to plead for the life of their baby boy. Why, Lord, why should this innocent infant be made to suffer for the sins of his parents? He would never understand the judgments of God, but, as with the king, it was not his place to question. On the seventh day of the child's illness, God mercifully took him. 
Bathsheba laid the baby in his cradle so calmly and quietly, Benaiah wouldn't have known he was dead. Then she kissed his tiny forehead, her tears splashing on his motionless chest. She stood and walked past Benaiah without looking at him, her back straight and chin high. Benaiah was always amazed at the different ways people expressed their grief. Mariah wailed, some cried quietly, others searched for activities to do so they wouldn't have to think about it. Bathsheba had probably shed all her tears and was numb. After she left the room, two servants approached Benaiah. What should we do with the baby's body? Do nothing until after the king has been informed, he whispered. David was still face down on the floor, arms outstretched. He's been like that for days. How can we tell him such news? He may seek to harm himself. You tell him. David raised himself off the floor. He turned to the three men huddled together. Is he dead? The two servants looked at each other and then at Benaiah. He is, my lord, Benaiah said. I'm sorry. David walked over to the cradle, gazed on the baby's still form, and then left the room. Benaiah followed, worried he may very well do as the servants feared and harm himself. The king went to his chambers, called for a bath and clean clothes, then made his way to the house of the Lord. Benaiah wondered if this was how David grieved. He followed David into the tabernacle courtyard. David brought a lamb as an offering. Benaiah watched as David laid his hands on its head and confessed his sins over it, ceremonially transferring his sin to the sacrifice about to be killed, reminding himself that sin results in death. After the lamb was killed by Abiathar the priest, David joined others in singing psalms of worship to God. As Benaiah watched David with his hands lifted and his eyes closed as he sang, Benaiah tried to reconcile it with the man who had spent a week prostrate on the floor in prayer, crying out to God. Afterward, David made arrangements with the priests to bury his unnamed son. Benaiah was more than a little surprised at the calm David exhibited. Then David returned to his house and requested food. As David ate, the servants cast questioning glances at one another over the table. When David had taken his last bite, he walked to the common room. It was empty the counselors awaiting word that business would again resume. David took his seat on the throne. Benaiah finally questioned David's strange behavior. My lord, you fasted and wept for your son while he was alive, but when he died you arose and ate food. It's hard to understand. David smiled indulgently. I suppose it would seem as if I did things backwards, but while the baby was still living I cried and refused to eat because I thought, who knows? Maybe the Lord will feel sorry for me and let the baby live. But that didn't happen. So why should I fast any longer? Can I bring him back to life again? No. Someday I'll go to him, but he cannot come back to me. Benaiah had to admit that David's behavior showed his great faith in God's mercy. Even though David knew that God said the child would die, he still believed that God was merciful and would possibly spare him. Yet when that didn't happen, he entrusted the child into God's loving hands, believing he would see him again one day. That's why he was able to worship. Like Job of old, he could say, When I was born into this world, I was naked and had nothing. When I die, it will be the same. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Praise the name of the Lord. The baby was buried the next day. He was as yet unnamed because he was only a week old and he would have received his name when he was circumcised on the eighth day, yet he was known to God. 
Bathsheba's grief was revived when the baby, wrapped in a shroud, was lowered into the ground. It was heartbreaking to watch. David wrapped his arm around his wife. His whole family, along with the palace servants and multitudes from Jerusalem and the surrounding area who had heard the news, were in attendance. Benaiah trudged to the common room at the start of the day. For the first time since he started working in the palace, he wanted to leave. Perhaps he could go back to Kabzeel and find work in some profession that didn't face life and death on a daily basis. He shared his thoughts with Mariah. He was again amazed at her empathy. She said she knew this had been a hard year for him, and if he felt he needed to do something else, she would be supportive. He appreciated it, but he told her he would probably get over it soon, so not to pack yet. Bathsheba continued to live in the court of the women with David's other wives and children. Benaiah imagined that she was not well received by the others because of the circumstances of their sudden marriage, which was probably the reason David went out of his way to spend more time with her after the baby died. One day, a few months later, Benaiah overheard Bathsheba tell David she was expecting again. He kissed her and told her he was happy, but she burst into tears. "'What's wrong, love?' David asked. "'Aren't you pleased?' "'What if this child dies, too?' David stroked her hair. "'Don't cry, Bathsheba. I'll ask Nathan.' Benaiah remembered that in Nathan's parable, he had pronounced judgment on the rich man, saying he would pay fourfold for his sin. Did that mean that four of David's children would die? Would they all be Bathsheba's? Benaiah had no answers. Who knew the ways of God? And would the forgiveness David experienced extend to her as well? When David was anointed by Samuel, <clears throat> he said, The Lord doesn't see as man sees, because man looks at outward appearances, but the Lord looks inward at the heart. What did God see when he looked at Benaiah's heart? Did he recognize his remorse, his guilt, his repentance? Did he see that Benaiah wanted only to please Yahweh? Ever since the death of Amizabad, Benaiah had determined to always obey. If he did that, he was sure there would be no death. But disobedience had brought death, and now so had obedience. How could he continue to do his job when every action and inaction led to disastrous consequences? Keep listening for chapter 27.